Westgate, will you please stand and worship with us today? Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
to the screen. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Pastor Dan Russell and I'm the middle school pastor here at Westgate. Thanks for joining us. Right now is a great time to make sure you have your sermon notes ready. Those are always available on the entrance tables for one of our ushers or you can also find them on the Westgate app. If you're a guest, we are especially excited that you are here. We hope you will find Westgate a place where you can easily and deeply get connected into a relationship that will help you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. One of the first steps is getting connected into the life of our church is to fill out a connect card. You'll find that in the pew in front of you. Take a moment to fill that out and at the end of the service, head out to the main entrance into our guest center where there's a host who would love to answer any questions you may have. We also have a small gift for you just to say, thanks for being here. Even if you've been attending Westgate for a while, we'd love to invite you to fill out the Connect card as well. Let us know if you have any prayer requests. We love the opportunity to pray for our church family each and every week. Then drop your card in the offering bucket when it's passed later in service. You can also find the Connect card on our Westgate app. And now, here are a few reminders for things that you don't want to miss. Stuff. Do you have some stuff around your house that you no longer love, but someone else might? Then we want your stuff. Just a reminder that the Rum and Shale Donation Days start next Sunday, May 28th, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the gym. And then continue Monday to Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Bring us your stuff. If you have friends that like stuff, invite them to the Rum and Shale, Friday and Saturday, June 2nd to the 3rd. More details are available at westgatechapel.org slash events, including a list of all the kinds of stuff we'll be most interested in receiving. Next up, remember to stop by the Support a Student table in the W Cafe and pick up one or two cards from our team heading to Costa Rica in just a few short weeks. These cards are a great way to remember to pray for our team. Additionally, if you're interested in providing financial support, instructions on how to do so will be available at the table. Thank you for your continued support and for helping us send our team off with the power of prayer. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. If you're looking for more details about what's happening at Westgate, you can check out our Westgate app or head over to the website at westgatechapel.org slash events. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. We'd love to connect with you there. Enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning. I'm not here to talk about stuff, but that was awesome. Um, and I love that he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt because I am super excited about this summer at Westgate. My name is Marlena. I'm the director of kids ministry here. This is my friend Renee. Everybody say hi, Renee. 
She's awesome. Um, and we're here to talk about VBS. Woo! Um, if you weren't here last year, if you haven't been part of Westgate's VBS before, I'm going to show you a little video just to get a little bit, a picture of what we did last year. So take a look. Best part. My name is Marlena Burrow. I'm the Kids Ministry Director here at Westgate Chapel. This week, we have had a whole week with 250 kids playing large group games, hiding God's word in their heart, and doing all kinds of creative art experiences. This year's theme was all about how we were created, designed, and empowered to do God's work. Thank you so much to all of those that were involved this year making BBS 2022 happen. We can't wait to do it again next year. So we had a blast last year and I can't believe it's already time to do it again. And so this year our theme is called Twist and Turns and it's June 12th through the 16th. And I brought my friend Renee here because she and her family take it very seriously. When we talk about neighboring and we talk about inviting, they have taken, how many kids did you bring last year? We had five in addition to my five kids. Yeah, so 10. She actually had to find a van, a big uh, 10, 12 passenger van to bring all those kids here. And so I wanted to ask her so you guys could hear a real family here at Westgate who has taken the um, invitation to invite their neighbors very seriously when it comes to VBS. So could you tell us a little bit about why you have done that and what that means to your family? Sure. Um, so my husband, Scott, and I really have a heart for missions and sharing the love of Christ with those around us. We do it because, first of all, it's a command. Secondly, out of just gratitude for what God has done in our lives. And finally, our ulterior motive is because, as I mentioned, we have five kids, and we just feel the burden and the responsibility of trying to train them to share their faith and reach the people in the circles that are surrounding them. So... VBS became a very simple way for us to do that. They love VBS. It's fun. It's exciting. And while the kids are busy having fun, they're also learning about the love of our Savior and how much he loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. Um, so for us, we had a conversation with our kids. Do you guys like VBS? Yes. Do you, we learn about Jesus? Yes. Do you think our neighbors need to go and have fun and learn about Jesus? Yes. So they were bought in very quickly and easily. Um, it started with just getting the cards that Westgate provided. And I typed up a little blurb about who we were, where we lived in the neighborhood, my phone number, and we stapled it to the cards. Then we went door to door. Uh, introducing ourselves and uh, just asking if they had any questions, inviting them personally, getting to know neighbors that we maybe hadn't met prior to that. And each year it's just kind of grown from there and more kids are learning about it. And in fact, um, it's just kind of an exponential. At the end of last summer, one of the girls that came was kind of chastising one of the other boys to help clean up because don't you wanna get invited again? Let's come back next year. And they're telling other kids in the neighborhood. So now we don't even have to tell, the neighbor kids tell people about VBS at Westgate. That's awesome. And can you tell us, we have a, I know one way you said is that you handed out stuff. So Westgate has provided all of you guys an opportunity to do that yourself. Can you tell us about that? Yes. And so they had 
they have the cards, they still have those cards, but they also have something new this year. It is a door hanger with a very colorful, cute presentation about with the details. There's also a post-it note on it. If you want to write a note for your neighbors, put your phone number on there in case they have any questions. Um, I think a personal invitation goes a long way versus just sometimes a flyer in the mail. You don't have to have kids. For us, it works well because our kids know the kids in the neighborhood and we can reach out that way, but you don't have to have kids to invite your neighbors. If you have neighbors and they have doors, you can hang these on their doors. Yeah, raise your hand. Who has a neighbor with a door? Anybody? Oh, all of you, that's right. Okay, so yes. these are for you. You can pick them up um, either at the summer table out here or in the atrium. And again, the reason we're doing VBS, we don't just want a whole bunch of kids in this building because it looks cool. We want families to be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is by VBS, getting our kids in our community who don't know the good news to come into this building. And so if you guys would join us, join Renee's family and taking really seriously the call to reach your neighbors and uh, thank you so much. And right now, what I want you to do is you're gonna stand up, you're gonna greet somebody and I want you to tell them which neighbor are you gonna be inviting to VBS? As you head back to your um, seats this morning, I just wanted to share something that the Lord um, brought to my mind this morning as, as uh, I was preparing for worship. Um, I was thinking about how in the Old Testament, um, the passage I was looking at is in Exodus 33, and it talks about how um, Moses set up a tent outside of the city, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was a tent of meeting. And so Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, and when he was out there, the, the cloud of smoke would come down from the sky, and all the Israelites would stand in the doorways of their tents, and they would look from afar. And when, when that smoke came down as a pillar, everyone in their doorways would worship. And I just was thinking about how thankful I am that we, we don't have to have that distance. Like we all get that intimacy with God. We get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We get access to all of him because of Jesus. And I think that oftentimes any distance we might feel is self-imposed. Um, it's because we've allowed other things to take 
priority to, um, you know, we read a lot about the idols in the Old Testament, and that's essentially what ends up coming in our way of that communion with God. We put other things in priority above the seat that the Lord should have on our hearts. And so as we continue in worship this morning, I just hope that um, this song would really be the, the prayer, the cry of our hearts this morning, that we would just ask to draw near to him and that we would ask him to show us anything that might be separating us from the fullness of his presence.
God is good. Amen. Amen. Yes. Let's continue to worship him this morning. Continue to draw near and closer to him. He longs for that intimacy with you. Just draw closer to him this morning. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Raise your voice. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Yeah. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the
this morning. He is worthy. Father in heaven, and here below, Lord, we come to you, God, and we give you praise because you are worthy of our praise, of our adoration. God, that's why we gather here together is to praise your name, Father, and I pray, and to just to draw closer to you. God, teach us to understand you better this morning. Teach us to understand your heart and understand your ways better this morning. If only you are worthy of our praise, God, there's nothing else in this world that's worthy of that. And I pray for each and every person here, every single one of us, God, may we leave changed by your word this morning. May we be drawn closer to you and who you are. It's in your holy and precious name that all God's people prayed. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us this morning. Uh, again, if you don't, mean, don't know me, my name is Rob Zimmerman, lead pastor here at Westgate, and I'm just thankful you've chosen to worship with us today. You know, as we come to worship, we have numerous ways that we do so. We worship through uh, our songs that we sing. We worship uh, in our study of God's word and listening to his spirit speaking into our hearts. Uh, everything that we do in this room is meant to be an act of worship. And one of the ways that we worship week in and week out is through the uh, giving of our time and our offerings, an opportunity for us to recognize all that God has provided for us, but also to acknowledge that in our own discipleship, he calls us to join him in the work that he has given us to do to share the good news of the gospel with others. And so we're going to pause this morning as an act of worship to take our morning offering together and, uh, and do this together as an act of worship. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, for the way which you have proven yourself time and time again, so faithful. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. We ask God that you would take our offerings this morning and that you would use them, Lord, uh, and multiply them so that more people will hear the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you can and you are on the center aisles, there are buckets that are there and we're just going to pass those out to the side and across as we take our offering as an act of worship today. Again, uh, I want to thank you uh, for your continued faithful giving uh, to our church. Uh, it enables us to do what we do week in and week out with uh, sharing the good news of the gospel with our community and really truly throughout the world. And uh, one of the highest priorities that we as a church staff and church leadership have 
is that we feel the great responsibility to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us. And uh, I wanted to take a moment this morning just to address uh, an email that I sent out to the church a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, just because I know I know how this goes. Some of you read them, you watch the video, you tell me thank you, and then others of you don't. And I wanted to make sure that we were all together on the same page. But in an email a few weeks ago, I shared with you uh, the decision that was made by our church leadership to cut about 5% of our overall budget uh, for the church. Uh, This would include reductions to our ministry budgets, but also uh, to our staffing as well here at the church with the removal of a full-time position and hours from some of our part-time positions. You know, decisions like these are never easy uh, because one, they impact people that we love, uh, people that we are in relationship with, and yet the Lord still calls us to make sure that we're stewarding what he has given us well. And uh, I wanted to take a moment just to answer, as we shared this with the church a few weeks ago, I want to answer two questions that have come up kind of commonly to me uh, for you. One uh, question is this, as we have talked about making the 5% cutback, uh, people have asked, does this mean that the church is in trouble financially? And the the simple answer to that question is no. Uh, And then the next immediate question is, well, why then are we, are we making these cuts? And I wanted to give you just a quick explanation to, to kind of what, why we're doing what we're doing. What we have realized since 2018, the end of 2018 moving into the pandemic and then out of the pandemic, is that really our giving as a church has remained flat. We have continued to carry about $2 million a year that comes in uh, to run the church and for outreach and, and all of those sorts of things into our community. That has stayed flat since 2018. Now, on one hand, that is like, praise God that that's the truth. Going through the pandemic, I can't even begin to tell you the number of pastors that I know in churches that have struggled with major drops in giving. But one of the other issues that it creates is that, and most of you understand this because you feel it at home, is that while the giving has remained flat, the inflation in our world has gone sky high. Uh, We have seen increase in costs to run our church from just the supplies that we need day to day. When something breaks and you got to fix it, it costs more to bring somebody in to do so. Uh, Salaries go up, benefits go up. I mean, there are things all across the board where inflation has had an impact. And with flat giving, that creates a point where we have to look and say to plan well for the future, we need to steward well and steward better. And what we recognized is that our staffing levels compared to the overall budget were increasing because of the inflation, whereas our giving was not keeping up with that. And so that is just a small picture of why those decisions were made. Uh, Seeing that we were uh, a bit overstaffed when it looks at the percentage of resources going to staffing as opposed to going to ministry, uh, we believe that a correction needed to be made, not just for the moment, but really truly also for the future. And part of our stewardship with that is an attempt to bring these things back into line so that more resources can flow into ministry. Now, the second question that this also raised was, well, are we going to continue with the refresh of our worship center? And the answer to that question is yes. Uh, Many people have given sacrificially throughout our unfinished generosity initiative that was happening during the pandemic, as well who continue to give to the Broad Reach Fund. And these resources have been given for the purpose of this project. And so we intend to honor that 
and continue to move forward. But this is more than a question of do we have money in the moment, but about stewarding toward the future well so that we can continue to pour more resources into ministry uh, that is effectively reaching our community and the world with the gospel. And so as I give you that explanation, I really want to give you the opportunity as well. I know that some people have had questions. You can talk with me. No question is off limits. Uh, You can talk to me. You can talk to one of our staff members. You can talk to an elder here at the church, but I really want to encourage you and just challenge you in this moment with a couple of things. One, there are many great things that are happening here in this church. Like over the past just six to eight months, we've seen uh, 19 people give their heart to the Lord for the very first time, something that I've been encouraged by. Yeah, praise to God, because let me tell you something. We haven't seen that in like the last five years combined. And that has been encouraging to see this movement of the spirit that is taking place as we take seriously God's call to take the good news of the gospel to, to, to others. As well, we saw 34 people already this year baptized, like just exciting to see the number of people that are surrendering their hearts to the Lord. There is a growing movement and excitement that surrounds reaching our neighbors and sharing the gospel and recognizing in the world that we live in that there is an opportunity we have to help people understand that there is hope that the world cannot provide and it's found in Jesus alone. And so I want to challenge you to dive in deep. Use the gifts that God has given you, not only in the building up of the body here within these walls, but outside these walls, going and using the opportunities that God is giving you to share the good news. As well, I would continue to encourage you and challenge you to grow in your own decision discipleship in the area of giving. If you consider Westgate your home, consider how God would have you to be a part and be involved in using the resources he has given you to partner in the ministry that we are doing to reach our community. Like many churches all throughout the United States, we are no different. It is usually the small percentage of people in a church that are really carrying the financial burden of a church. Whereas if all of us together would do our part and grow in this area of discipleship that God calls us to, we would be able to do far more together and accomplish far far more together. And so I just challenge you as a church to continue to pray through that with God and ask him how he would have you to partner with the work that he wants to accomplish through you and in this body. And so uh, I'm going to take a moment just to pray as we uh, move into our time of being in the word together. I know that there is much that the Lord wants to continue to develop in us and in our hearts as we seek him and we seek to be used by him. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you again so much for just the opportunity that we have had to be, uh, to be here and to be in your house together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we have had to worship in song, uh, to, to just express our hearts to you already, Father, in prayer as we seek you and we seek your face. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you in the giving of our tithes and our offerings because it's our recognition, God, that everything that we have comes from you and we want to be a part of the work that you're doing in reaching more people with the gospel. Lord, uh, we trust you with all that we are. And this morning as we get into your word, you're going to help us to understand where that trust and where that faith comes from and the foundation that it is built on. And Father, I pray that you would continue to take us to deeper levels of faith and trusting in you. Lord, you have been faithful. 
you have proven it to us in so many ways in our individual lives and collectively together as a church over these last many years that have been so turbulent in our world, and yet you have given us a sure foundation to stand upon. Lord, we pray that you would continue to grow the ministry and the work that you are doing in this body, and most importantly, God, that you would do it by transforming our hearts, that we would use all that you have given us for the purpose of partnering with you to build your kingdom. We give you thanks, Father. And we pray that you again through your spirit would speak to us this morning as we dive into your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your sermon notes, I'd encourage you to pull those out and follow along with me this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing in the book of Mark. And so you can turn with me to Mark chapter 4. If you have been with us over the past many weeks, we put out a uh, reading plan uh, that you can utilize to read a chapter before you come to service each week uh, to kind of prepare you for what we'll be talking about. If you don't have one of those, those are located at each of our entrances at the tables that are there when you walk in. And so I'd encourage you to pick one up today. Uh, But this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, looking at the uh, last portion of this chapter in verses 35 to 41. Uh, But as you're turning there and getting ready, as I was preparing for the message this past week, I was thinking back to uh, a time when Rochelle and I first moved here to Toledo. And in the interview process, one of the things that they uh, wanted to tell us and kind of encourage us with as a reason to move to Toledo is because there was such a great list of things to do. And on, and on that list, there were like five things. <laughs> right. right. And part, I shouldn't say it. Part of me was like, don't try to woo me with your things to do. I'm coming from Southern California. But five things like going to the art museum. We've got a world-class art museum. We've got an incredible zoo. we got the mud hens. We love the mud hens. You know, the walleye hockey is great. But one of the things that was on that list that we actually took advantage of pretty quick was the Imagination Station. Now, how many here have been to the Imagination Station, right? And let me tell you, we had, our kids were pretty young, Garrett and Riley. Gracie hadn't come along yet, but Garrett and Riley uh, went with us, and they loved it, getting their hands on all the different things that you can do and experience together. Uh, And I remember as we were moving kind of throughout the building and then going upstairs, there's that one thing that you can do uh, that seems a little harrowing, and that's riding that little bicycle across the high wire, right? My daughter is literally shaking right now thinking about it. So it's moving, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's that bicycle that the old, you know, it's sitting on on a wire, and it's got this massive weight, and then they have you sit on it, and they give you this little seatbelt to put on, which, by the way, will do nothing for you, but uh, just an observation. You know, Riley would want nothing to do with that. Garrett, however, decided that he would give it a try, and so he gets on this bike, and the attendant kind of buckles him in, and then he kind of looks out in front of him, and I can see him, like, looking down, thinking, what am I doing, right, young child? And the attendant is trying to coax him and give him encouragement to just go. You can do this. Right, you know, ride yourself across. And he's not having any of it. He's looking at the attendant like, who are you to tell me? And he, I remember him turning and looking back at me for some sort of assurance that it was okay to do this. And I looked at him like, it's okay, Garrett. Go ahead. I hope it'll turn out okay. <laughs> right? And so, so he looks at me, he gets out of assurance, and then he kind of intrepidously, he, he goes out and he begins to go. You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about the fact that it is so easy for us to put our trust in people that we know and that we know have our best interest at heart. 
He couldn't trust the attendant that he had no idea who this individual was. But Garrett could look at me as his father and because he knows my love for him, my care for him, the fact that I feel a high value of protecting my family, that there was a deeper level of trust that would give him the ability to begin to move forward into something that seemed a little bit perilous. We're going to be jumping back into our series this morning in the book of Mark. It's entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? And it's this journey we've been doing together through the gospel of Mark, where Mark is, what Mark desperately desires to do in his gospel is to help us to understand who the person of Jesus is, that we would know Jesus and by that, that we would know God. Ultimately in doing so, that we would have a deep an abiding faith and trust in him. And this morning, as we dive into this passage, Mark is going to continue to do what he has done through the whole book to help us to see how the disciples were growing in their knowledge of who God was that was meant to build their faith and trust, even in some of the most perilous circumstances. And so you'll see as we turn to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, that what we have is a very simple boat ride that the disciples are going to go on with Jesus that quickly becomes a life-threatening event. And take a look with me at verse 35. It says this, it says, on that day, when evening had come, he being Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. Now, What we need to understand contextually is that Jesus has been spending a full day teaching. You'll remember that as we've gone through Mark, basically from the time of Jesus' baptism, he has been in the Galilee region and he has been going around teaching people about the kingdom of God. He has been healing the sick, causing, causing the lame to be able to walk, the blind to see, doing incredible things. And he has now spent, as you, if you were to read all of chapter 4, a full day teaching his disciples and teaching the crowds, and he suggests to his disciples that they should go to the other side of the lake. Now, if you look at this map that is up on the screen, uh, I showed this to you a couple weeks ago, just to the left of that red dot, that's the Sea of Galilee, but just to the left is Capernaum. Capernaum is where most of these things were taking place in Jesus' early ministry. This is where uh, Peter was from, where he lived, where he had his fishing business, if you will. And all of these teachings are happening in this region. And Jesus says, we want to go to the other side of the lake. He's looking for an opportunity to get away and to have a time of rest. And so they would go from the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee and traverse all the way across largely to the southeastern side, which would have been a Gentile region where they would have been able to get away from the crowds and also be able to find some rest. Now, with these less crowds, Jesus is finally going to have that moment with his disciples to catch a break. But then what we see is that the the, the moment changes. In Mark chapter 4, as we continue reading verse 37, it tells us that as they were traversing across, a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling with water. Now, as a young child, when I read this story, I picture like just this treacherous storm that is taking place. Much like something I've seen on TV recently. Maybe you've seen this as well. Take a watch. Sea. Sorry, 
fleet penetrates the heart of a 1,000 square mile Arctic storm. I love what that guy says. If you don't believe in God, come out here. I mean, when you look at that, I remember like when I used to read the story, that's like the picture. You see these, like anybody here watched or admit they watched Deadliest Catch? Anybody? Yes. Right? Crab fishermen out in the uh, Bering Sea. Uh, the storms that arise there will cause waves that can be 50, 60, 70 feet tall, like incredible things that they have to endure. And I have this picture in my mind of like, you know, flashing lightning and crazy thunder and huge huge, massive waves. And yet, as I picture that, when I read the text and I consider the geography and also the weather phenomena of what takes place on the Sea of Galilee, even to this day, the picture we should have in our minds is actually just a little bit different. You'll see a video up on the screen here of a place uh, that is uh, soaring this, this this camera is going over a mountain called Mount Arbel on the Sea of Galilee. And just down to the left of the Sea of Galilee there is where Capernaum would be. There's a massive lake, but one of the things you need to understand is that this lake, the Sea of Galilee, is actually surrounded by large cliffs and mountains. The Sea of Galilee itself sits about 700 feet below sea level. But Mount Arbel, which is up on kind of the northwestern uh, corner of the sea, raises to about 1,200 feet above sea level. But over on the northeastern uh, side, you have Mount Hermon, which raises to 9,000 feet high. You have these large cliffs and large mountains that surround it. And here's what happens on the Sea of Galilee, is that you have warm air that is rising up from the sea that is, is below sea level. And you have the cold air that is rushing down off of these mountains. And when they impact, they cause fierce, and incredible and even at times of violent windstorms. I remember that when I went to Israel uh, a number of years ago, I stood on the top of Mount Arbel, just a beautiful place. And I was really excited to get to go up there and to see it. But it was one of those days where one of these windstorms was taking place. Literally, it felt like it was going to blow you off the cliff as the wind would just rush by and then down across. And as that happened, you could see these incredible white caps that were developing all across the Sea of Galilee. You know, they've said that these storms have become so violent in the past that even in 1992, one of these windstorms produced 10-foot waves that, would actu that actually caused flooding and damage in Tiberias. Now, you might think to yourself, a 10-foot wave that doesn't seem that big, especially from Southern California, like that's good surfing weather, but surely... It's different because they didn't have the boats that we see in the video that we just watched. Their boats were actually something very different. If you take a look at this screen, it was back in 1986, the hull of a fishing boat was actually recovered from the mud that was about found about five miles away from where Capernaum is. And this boat that was found 
on the Sea of Galilee is about 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep. And uh, with this boat, uh, they used uh, dating technology that helped them to see that it actually dates to about 120 BC to 40 AD. It would have been a boat that was used in the fisherman industry right around the same time that Jesus was walking with his disciples in this space. Now, what's interesting to me about this is you look at the other picture. Here is an artist's rendition or a, a rendition of what they believe that boat most likely looked like in its completion. It was propelled by four rowers. It could hold upwards of 15 people. And now imagine this going across a sea in the wind, being tossed by these incredible waves. Now, you begin to get a picture of the peril that the disciples found themselves in. If you wonder how bad it really was, I want you to consider this truth. As many as seven of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. You think of people like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They had spent their lives navigating the Sea of Galilee and were intimately aware of what boats could endure out on the sea. And what the passage tells us is that they were terrified. It tells us everything. With all of their experience on the lake, with its weather, and with these boats, their own efforts were no match for the storm that was threatening to take their lives. And so it continues in the passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It tells us that as the storm comes up and the disciples begin to panic, it says that he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, I want to pause for just a moment and think about this. Why was Jesus asleep? Why does Mark put this and, and really highlight this in the passage? There's probably a number of reasons, but I want to remind you that what is incredibly significant for Mark is that the mighty and authoritative son of God is also fully human with the limitations and the weaknesses that characterize our own human nature. After a long, hard day of ministry, likely days of teaching and healing, Jesus is tired. He needs rest. Anybody here get tired after a hard day of work? Many people ask me, what do you do when you go home on a Sunday after preaching? I follow the lead of Jesus. I take a rest, <laughs> right? And here's the deal. What we see is that Mark gives us a glimpse into Jesus' humanity in just a brief moment to help us to see a picture that he is fully human, just like us. Don't let it pass you by that he is painting a picture of who Jesus is. But then he continues to say that the disciples wake him and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And let her see what we see in this statement that they make is the disciples' fearful response actually carried an accusatory tone. It wasn't just a fearful cry for help. Oftentimes we read this passage and we think, okay, they just ran to Jesus and they've got all these things that he's been doing in their head. And they're like, Jesus, you're the man. You can help us. Can you just get up and take care of this business? But the type of response that they give when you translate it in the Greek and what you hear them say their response is actually accusatory in tone. It's something you might say when you think someone is doing something foolish or careless. It carries the idea of looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, what 
are you doing? Where are you in this moment? Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience with someone in your life, but I can remember years ago when I was on travel camp uh, here at this church with a bunch of students, taking them up to New York. We went camping, decided to start a fire, did the thing, you know, put all the wood together, a little bit of newspaper in there. But I'm a California fire, fire starter, which means I go and I look for lighter fluid to just spray on it and then throw a match and let it, you know, start that way, the easy way. It's how we did bonfires all the time. So we're out on this thing and I'm just like found the lighter fluid and I'm spraying it all over and I take the match and I get down real close. I'm like, I got to get this thing lit underneath. And I kid you not, the second that fire, that, that little match hits that thing, there was a nuclear explosion that took off. And this ball of fire and smoke goes, boom, and raises like this plume, like you see in the movies, you know, when a nuclear bomb's going off. And it blew me back. I singed like all the hair on my arms and my eyebrows. And I'm like, what happened? And I hear my assistant, Abby, yell, what are you doing? Are you foolish? Are you crazy? And I was trying to explain to her. I'm like, I don't understand what happened. I did what I always do. I just, I sprayed the, the lighter fluid on the fire. And she goes, that's not lighter fluid. That's kerosene. And I said, what's the difference? And that day I learned what the difference is between those two things. I will always ask, now actually, I refuse to use that stuff. I know I start a fire like a man now. But let me tell you, I was, the, her response to me was one of, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Right? The disciples are in peril. They believe that their life is in the balance. And amidst the chaos, here's Jesus sawing logs on a pillow. What are you doing, Jesus? You have responsibility here. You go around healing everyone, casting out demons, and yet here you are asleep, ready to let us die. We might think to ourselves, how could the disciples be so foolish and disrespectful to respond to Jesus this way? But maybe what we fail to realize is that we are a lot more like the disciples than we care to admit. How many times have we responded similarly when our life isn't seeming to go the right way? When trials and difficulty cause our faith to turn quickly to fear and to doubt. Where are you, God? Why haven't you responded to my pleas? Why are you letting this thing happen to me? When you lose your job, when your marriage seems to be falling apart, when you're financially struggling, when your children are walking away from God, when you've lost a loved one or even a child unexpectedly, when we or someone we know, when we or someone we know gets a bad health diagnosis, where are you, God? Why haven't you answered me? Why are you silent in this moment? When I went to Cambodia for the first time in 2004, I came back and I spent an entire year sick without answers and doctors looking at me, telling me that they thought they had no, A, they had no idea what was wrong, but B, then they were telling me they thought I might have cancer. And I can remember one day in particular of just going to a park by myself at lunchtime, leaving work, struggling through some of the physical things that I was dealing with, and just sobbing on a bench saying, God, where are you in this moment? I've given my life to serve you. 
I've taken kids overseas so that they would have a passion for missions, and this is what I get. Where are you in this moment? I know that we can relate very well with the disciples' response with almost an accusatory tone because if we listen carefully, we can hear the disciples' voices in our own prayers and our own cries to the Lord when life isn't going the way that we envisioned it. Questioning and accusing as to how God could let this happen. What is Jesus' response to this accusation? It teaches us a lot about who he is. What Jesus does is he commands the storm and then he questions his disciples, Roman numeral number two. But ultimately what he does is he reveals more of himself to his disciples and then he teaches them an essential lesson about faith. In Mark chapter 4, 39, it says that he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, the words that are used in the Greek here are really interesting. It says that he rebuked the wind and the waves. The same exact words that are used of how Jesus would cast demons out of people. It was a rebuke. It was a, I have power, and I have authority in this moment, and it will stop. And what does the passage say? That when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, not that it was just like, you know, hey, a little bit of time passed, the wind slowly started to die down, things didn't get quite as bad. What does it say? It says that on a dime, it stopped. The wind stopped. The sea became still. Here's the deal. This is where I believe many preachers and many people get this passage so wrong. So many people will look at this passage and what Jesus have done and try to teach you that this passage is about Jesus calming the storms of our life. Jesus will calm the storms of your life. He'll take the bad things away and make everything better. And here's the deal. It sounds good. It sounds like a message and teaching that will give me hope right now and allow me to walk out the doors feeling all warm and fuzzy and that everything is gonna be okay. But here's the problem. First thing is this. You and I both know that this statement is not always true. There are many times where the Lord does allow us to go through the storms of life. And we'll see that there are often times that he does very essential reasons as to why he does so. But when we teach that this passage is about the fact that Jesus will remove all the storms of our life, what we do is we give ourselves and others false hope that ultimately can leave us disillusioned with God when things don't seem to go our way. The second thing I want you to see is this, is that what Jesus actually does, like he does in each of our lives with every storm that we face, is that he uses it as a teaching moment about two very important things. He's going to teach us about himself so that we can have a greater understanding and appreciation for having faith in him. The first thing that we see, letter A, is that what Jesus does in this act is that he reveals his divine power over creation. Little by little, Jesus has been revealing more and more and more about himself to his disciples so that they have an understanding of who he is. Mark wants us to see this as we move through his gospel. 
And as we move through the gospel, we see that what Jesus does in this moment is he says, yes, I am the one who is in control of all things. I can cause the blind to see. I can cure the leper of his sickness. I can make the lame walk, but I also have control over the very forces of nature. I'm not just fully human. I am also fully God. And what the disciples would have recognized in this moment is that Jesus was doing things that only God himself could do. You see, the disciples' fear and even their accusations, what it does is reveals their inability to fully comprehend Jesus' identity. And in the pages to come in the book of Mark, we're going to see that even this moment doesn't fix the problem. We'll see the continued journey of the disciples with Jesus where they repeatedly continue to demonstrate pride, ignorance, and a lack of understanding of who Jesus is. But what I love is how patient Jesus is. He doesn't chide them or cast them to the side because of their doubt or their struggle or their lack of understanding. But what he will do is continue to reveal more and more of himself through some of the greatest trials that these men will ever face in their entire lives, seeking to use these moments as a way to develop their faith all along. For certainly Jesus knows that, w- that they will need it when he's gone. And it says in Mark 4.40 that Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And what Jesus asks them is two questions that go hand in hand. Why the fear and where is your faith? As I studied this, I saw one commentator that noted these words. He said, followers of Jesus need boldness in the face of life's challenges and trust in God's ability to bring them through. Now, this is true. I believe that there is a deep need in the church in America and in the world today to stop being so flimsy in our faith, and we need stronger faith and trust in God. We at times are so blown by the winds of this world, lacking in faith in him. But there is a danger, I believe, in the wording of this commentator that I read. And this is the danger. When we say just that followers of Jesus need boldness in the face of life's challenges, it can lead us to believe that what we need to do is to white-knuckle ourselves to that boldness and trust, to try harder ourselves, to will ourselves to, to trust God in the hard moments, and that somehow we ourselves will need to become stronger in our own strength. But here's the deal. This wasn't Jesus' intent. It's not Mark's intent of what he wants to teach. And if this was what Jesus intended to teach, it didn't work. Because we will see throughout the book of Mark that the disciples still struggle. Yet, the most important thing we can see, Roman numeral number three, is that even with all that they have experienced, the disciples are left wrestling to comprehend who Jesus is. Look at Mark 4.41. It says that they were filled with great fear... Now, pause for a second. The storm's over. Everything is calm. And they are filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Letter A, what we see is that the disciples' fear shifts from the storm to Jesus. Who is this man that we're following? 
He's doing things that only God can do. And what we recognize is that they are beginning to get a fuller picture of who this man they are following actually is. And what we learn from their words and from the pages to come, letter B, is that the disciples' response reveals a very important truth, a truth that I want you to hold on to and walk away this morning, is that our faith is cultivated by understanding who Jesus is. This is the journey that the disciples are on, a journey to know God, and it's a journey that leads to faith. And this is the journey that you and I are on as well. Faith isn't produced by your human ability to will yourself to be stronger. The foundation of your faith is cultivated by your understanding of who God and who Jesus is because when you truly understand that, it changes everything. We will see this in the disciples' lives And if you understand this and practice it in your own life, it will become your experience as well. Roman numeral number four, what you believe about who Jesus and God is will impact your faith or lack thereof in him. There are many ways that I believe we often have a distorted view of God that impacts our faith, letter A. For the disciples, The distortion of their view of God is that they had their own personal understanding of who Jesus was, who the Messiah was to be, that kept them from understanding Jesus. The picture that they had in their mind is of this ruler that would be sent from God that would come riding in on the white horse to wipe away Rome and all of their enemies and bring them to a time of peace, right? And this is the picture that they have. It doesn't necessarily gel with meek Jesus, who is going around into all these cities and villages, not calling an army together, but just simply loving people well and showing compassion and healing the sick and removing spiritual forces of evil from people's lives. And it's not gelling with the idea that they had in their mind. And who Jesus actually is was so far beyond anything that they could imagine that they're struggling to keep up and their faith is weak. And for us, I would say the same thing, that if we have a distorted view of God, it will impact our faith. Oftentimes, people will look at God as someone who has just created everything and then set the world in motion, but he's no longer involved. And when we view God that way as distant, it leaves us hopeless in this world. Sometimes we have a picture of God where we see him only as a judge, That he is just simply the guy that is up in heaven writing his long list of all of the wrongs that we can do and the judgment that we're going to get and we can never be good enough. And what does that do? When we look at God only as a judge and have a distorted view, we feel not good enough and it doesn't draw us toward him. It pushes us away from him. We can also in the church look at him only as the provider of salvation But when we think that Jesus and God and what they want from us is just simply to pray a prayer of salvation and then get through life, oftentimes what that leads to is that holiness doesn't matter and we miss the fullness of what God desires for us. Many times we can view God as indifferent to suffering and to hardship. 
We think that God doesn't care about what I'm going through. And when we have this idea and belief about who God is, it causes us to feel unloved by him. And yet there are others who believe that God will never let me suffer. And I don't know where this idea comes from in the church today. Literally, Jesus tells his disciples over and over again, you are going to suffer in this world. It's not going to be easy. That you will also suffer because you love me. Why is it as Christians today, in this era, do we believe that we won't suffer? That we're immune from suffering? Because the danger in this theology and view of God is that it will bring us to a place of questioning whether or not God loves us when we do go through those difficult moments of life. There are many ways that a distorted view of God will impact our faith or lack thereof. And Mark, letter B's primary concern is that you would have a correct view of Jesus. He wants you to have a clear picture And he is slowly throughout his gospel revealing piece by piece how the disciples learned who Jesus was and revealing it to us as well. Because he wants you to know that he is the one and only son of God who was sent in this world, who became fully man, but who also is fully God, who ultimately loved you so much that he would give his very life for you on a cross so that you could one day be away from this world and all of its brokenness and be with him restored perfectly in a relationship with God for eternity. What Jesus is doing, what Mark is doing is trying to get us to step back from the small picture of what we see right in front of ourselves, our momentary difficulties, our momentary trials and our fear and to see the bigger picture of who God is and the story and narrative that he's writing writing in this world. Because when we understand not only who he is, but what his purposes are for us and for this world, it is then in that knowledge that we can trust him no matter what we walk through. What is that thing that you're walking through today? What is the thing that you've been wrestling with and crying out to God, God, where are you? Why have you let this happen? I can't see you. I can't hear you. Why have you not responded? What is that thing that has your eyes so focused that you can't see past it? And do you see that what Jesus is asking you to do through this passage as he instructs his disciples is to step back and to say, do you not see and know who I am? that I've given everything for you, that I love you, that I am with you, that I will walk with you, but that not only are we walking through this storm, but God's desire in the midst of it is to teach us more about himself and to deepen our faith and trust in him because there's a much bigger picture than our momentary suffering. Let us see, can you identify today places in your life where your incorrect view of Jesus has negatively impacted your faith in him. What is that place for you today? Most importantly, letter D, what steps are you taking to know Jesus and daily build your faith and trust in him because you have come to know the one true God? He wants you to know him so that you will trust him.
like a young boy on a bike looking back at his father, going, I know you, and because I know you, I can trust you. Will we do the same in our own hearts and our own lives? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you have not left us in this world to fend for ourselves that you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, the depth of your love for us, that you will go to the ends of the earth to rescue us from ourselves and from this world. And Father, I pray that this morning as we continued and moved through Mark chapter four in this incredible account that we've been given of your interaction with your disciples in the storm and the lessons that you're teaching them as we continue to move through Mark's gospel and we continue to learn the passion of Mark's heart, the passion of your heart, that we would truly know you. I ask God that as we understand you more, that it would deepen our faith and trust in you, that no matter what season of life we are walking through, that we would always know that you are good, that you are God, that you are on your throne, and that you have our best in mind for eternity and that we can trust you. And so change our hearts, not because we're just trying harder, but because we know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
passage especially is the patience that Jesus shows to his disciples. This is a picture of the patience that he has with us. It'd be easier to walk out of here today going, man, I've been struggling so much with really trusting God and questioning him and to feel guilty about it. But if you feel that way, just take a look at how he responds to the ones that he loves. He reveals a little bit more of himself to them and invites them in closer to have faith and to trust. And that is what he is doing for you today. And so push in closer with Jesus. As we close our service this morning, if there are any prayer needs that you have, I would love to invite you forward. Paul and Diana Schwer, part of our prayer team, are here at the front. Would love the opportunity to pray with you, whether that's here or even over in our prayer room. And so I would love to invite you forward uh, for that at the close of our service. But as we close this morning, I actually would love to just read a passage of scripture over you. It's Paul's prayer over the Ephesian church. 
and says these words. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church family, serve the Lord. Trust him and push deeper this week into knowing him for that is the secret to building your faith. God bless you. We'll see you this next week.